0: Several years ago, in an African nation, a group of believers had to flee their community because it was so dangerous to proclaim Jesus. But then this group of believers returned to their community. Brother Aaron visited them during an outdoor Thursday worship service.
1: And they were singing, and they were praising the Lord. And here they are, a a community of Christians who just a few years ago had been driven out had the courage to come back. They still see people who drove them out, like some of the people who live in that community joined the attackers at that time. They see them in the market, and here they are sitting under a group of trees singing. And it just stunned me the way that they were so willing to still be so open with their faith. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them he sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio this week with Aaron Miller. You have heard from Aaron Miller before here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, but he is in a new position here at the Voice of the Martyrs. He is now the Vice President for International Ministry, so he oversees all of the overseas work in 70-plus countries where Voice of the Martyrs is active. Aaron, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thank you, Todd.
0: I know in the months leading up to this transition and taking on this new role here at VOM, uh, the Lord was preparing you. Talk a little bit about the transition and how you feel ready and how you feel God has equipped you for this role at this time here at VOM.
1: During the season of Advent, the Lord put a scripture on my heart from Luke 1, and Zechariah saw the vision, was visited by the angel, Given him the prophecy about John that would be born. And it said that John would go and prepare a people, that he would help prepare a people to make ready for the Lord. And that word prepare just really stood out to me. And so I began praying on that, meditating on that. And um, I felt like God was telling me to, number one, be a prepared person to be ready for the Lord. This was in December. Mm -hmm. But then also I felt like he was telling me, to begin communicating to people on my uh, regional staff that we all needed to help encourage each other to be a people prepared and ready for the Lord and whatever he wanted to do and was that going to ask us to do in the new year. And so that was Christmas season during Advent. Go through that. It was really strong on my heart. It was journaling about it. I was praying about it. I was talking to people about it in the office and and around the world and stuff. And talking to my wife about it. And then January, the opportunity came where I was asked to take this new position. And it kind of clicked in my head. Oh, Lord, you you were preparing me.
0: <laughs> I have been preparing. Yeah. you. Yeah.
1: So um, I had no idea. It was really not on anybody's radar. And so I was just so thankful that really that that word, be prepared, helped me not doubt and helped me not be too fearful. Um, There's some trembling that comes with this kind of responsibility, but I have felt the Lord's presence through it all.
0: Absolutely. You have previously led our work in South Asia and in Latin America and in the Middle East. So you have had experience in these different regions. Does that give you more comfort as now this is just all the regions? It's not just one, it's all of them.
1: Yeah, I think it does. I tend to be the type of person that I'll keep my head down and focus on what God's given me. I don't want to look up and look around and get distracted. And so every time I was given a new region or a new country, I would just keep my head down and try to focus on those things and do the best I could in those in those places. And then I think in this role, he has sort of helped me lift my head up a little bit and see, oh, yeah, I, I did oversee South Asia and Latin America and the Middle East and – You know, so I have this some experience that now I'm looking around, going, okay, I I I can look at the whole whole world in a little bit different way.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things about your preparation. Uh, if I can use that word. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we have talked about it here on Voice of the Mars Radio. If, if listeners want to go back, we'll give you a link in the show notes. But, but you had a little taste of persecution in, in your time of service in India. You had a situation where you kind of got beaten up. You got put on a motorcycle and you weren't exactly sure if you were going to be going home or if you were going to be going down a dark alley and never coming out. And so you've had a little taste of that. How how does that prepare you to go alongside of people who have just been beaten up or have just lost a loved one or who are in the midst of that suffering right now? And and again, and I know you don't want to oversell your own experience. But, Absolutely. But, but it was a taste sure. of persecution. Sure. Uh, how How do you feel like that helps you in this role?
1: I think it helps me because my wife and I – went through that experience, and in the middle of it, you don't know if it's going to last an hour or or 400 days, you know, as our brother Peter went through. You just don't know. So so your heart does start to kind of go down some paths of, okay, Lord, I, I'm, I'm leaning into you. I'm trusting you. And again, Todd, you're right. I, I'm not going to oversell what I went through. But at key times, looking in the eyes of our brothers and sisters when we're sitting somewhere, The Holy Spirit will move me to tell them my story or to say something like, I understand the fear you felt when that mob crashed through your door, or I understand what your wife might have felt when she got a call from you. And so it it has prepared me. I also can tell my staff now, the international staff we have now, wherever you're at in the world, if you're on a trip and things go bad, we will know how to pray for you. We will pray for you. We will immediately start doing things that we can do. But personally, in my heart, my wife and I will know how to pray for you. We'll know how to pray for your wife and children. And so that also gives me some some confidence that I can speak with as I try to train them and, and help them be prepared also for their positions.
0: When you talk about your staff, and I want our listeners to understand this, how, how many people and how many nationalities are we talking about when we talk about VOM's hands and feet working in these more than 70 countries?
1: Yeah, we just crossed 100. So we have 100 staff based around the world, um, 40 different nationalities. And I like to say that we are an interdenominational, intercultural, globally based missions organization. And uh, it's been really fun to start to travel around the world and and visit some of them as they're living in their places, get in their homes, have dinner with them, their wives, their children, you know, pick up the kids, uh, just sort of be in their home and encourage them, because a lot of them are places where it can be discouraging. And so to, to begin to travel and see our staff has been a blessing for me.
0: We're talking this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Aaron Miller. He is the new Vice President for International Ministry here at the Voice of the Martyrs. Let's talk about, you, you talk about travel, and I know you're just back from Africa. So so let's talk about your trip to Africa and kind of who you met, what you saw. I know this was new new places for you. Yeah. Uh, my, my parents used to live in Africa. They say once you go to Africa, you fall in love with it, and <laughs> it's over. You're, you're just in love with Africa from that time forward. Where were you? What did you see? What what was this experience like?
1: Yeah, so I was in the I was in the countries of Uganda, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then the Central African Republic. Uh, so DRC and CAR are those last two, and those were new experiences for me. I'd never been into those countries before, and so to see what God's doing there, to hear what our brothers and sisters are going through, to to visit with our staff who are leading some some really complicated and and some very large scale response efforts was really good for me to see.
0: And DRC, particularly DRC and CAR, there are major attacks and almost like civil war going on in those countries where Christians are being targeted in the midst of that. Yeah. What are the logistics like for you to go and, and oh, visit man. those places?
1: So I was a, I was definitely a little bit like a kid on Christmas morning because we got to ride in mission aviation aircraft. And so um, we we flew with MAF, which we are so thankful for our MAF colleagues. Uh, These pilots, they prayed for us. They prayed for what we were going to do in the places they were taking us. It it was great to just to sit with them. Uh, They did let me ride in the front of the plane next to the pilot when there was an empty seat there. So uh, I kind of feel like I could probably fly any plane now. So (laughs) uh, just kidding. Yeah. So we also flew with AIM, Africa Inland Mission. They have an aviation branch as well. And so we flew with those guys too. One guy was there for eight years and had been there with with his family for eight years. And so David was just great. He he encouraged us. He was thankful for that we were coming. A lot of people are not coming <laughs> into some of these places. <laughs> right. So I enjoyed that part of it. That was definitely adventurous. And it felt like, man, this is from some mission biographies I've read and I've heard stories, and so my first time to be on those planes. So that was great. Uh, The situation landing in places where we were landing on a grass airstrip that was uphill so that we would stop sooner, and then you have uh, some military personnel guarding the airstrip as you land, some of that is when, wow, this really is an adventure now. Okay, this, this is not and, what I...
0: And you hope the people guarding the airstrip are who you think
1: they are, yes. not the
0: other side, because then things are going to go exactly. south. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were very gracious. Those those men, very young men, guarding the airstrip that day for us was really good. That was in the DRC. The pilot, I remember we got on the plane that morning and, and told him where we were going, and he was just confirming uh, our destination. And he said, wow, that's I haven't had many people wanting to land in there lately. And so that's another part of what we do, Todd, and you know this, but we want to go places where maybe others aren't going to, we've been saying, have a ministry of presence. We want to go and be present with our brothers and sisters, even when it's a little bit challenging logistically or even there's some, some risk that we take to get there.
0: And that is part of serving them. That's part of coming alongside them. How how do you come alongside from a, you know, five hundred miles away? That that it's very difficult to do that. Right. What did you find when you went? And I know, uh, DRC is a new country on our prayer map this year.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I, I read in the Global Prayer Guide more than a hundred active armed groups oh, that man. are attacking people. It sounds like chaos. What What did you find as you were there?
1: Yeah, we found people at different levels of trauma, honestly, and chaos. Some had been displaced for quite a while and had been out of that for a little while. They were in uh, camps, or really the camps had then become settlements. Mm -hmm. And so you had some people who were living in a wooden house in one part of the settlement, but then you have other people who are living in makeshift tarps tied with string they find on the side of the road with ropes and dirt floors, just piecing together existence. And so the the one thing that we heard from most people consistently was how many family members they had lost in this. They continued to share with us, I lost my two daughters, um, I don't know where they're at, or I lost a husband. And it just was like this, every story was loss, loss, loss. For me, the hardest point of being there was we were sitting in a church, and a, an older lady stood up. She was very frail, and she said that she had lost 14 grandchildren over the last few years, oh my. all related to attacks. Because when the attacks come, they're unexpected, and people just flee. And so she had lost 14 grandchildren. Some of them had been confirmed dead. Others are just missing. And, you know, we had this discussion among the, the staff and, and then our, our partners on the ground of, which is better? Is it is it better to have some hope that they might be alive and they might return, but they might be really suffering physically right now? Horrendous type of torture. Or is it better to, to think they've been killed and they're in heaven and we can sort of move through the grief that way? We did stop and pray for her. Um, in that moment, in that church that day. But just finding the words to say was, was tough at times.
0: How do you, day after day after day of hearing those kind of stories, how do you bounce back the next day and say, oh, yeah, let's go hear some more of those?
1: That's a really good question. So I journal a lot on these trips. I have a journal sitting here on the table in in front of me just so I can remember some notes. I also go to Scripture One of the scriptures that was really powerful for me on this trip, and typically I've shared this with you, Todd, in the past, typically the Lord will give me one or two scriptures that they just resonate through the whole trip. And the scripture that came this time was from Psalm 138, and the whole psalm is great, but uh, verse 7 really was powerful for me, and I had a chance to even share a message uh, with our brothers and sisters in C.A.R., uh, from that verse, so so in that verse it talks about in the midst of trouble, you revive me, and then it goes on to say that you save me from my enemies. And so I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, Lord, in the midst of trouble, when am I in trouble? And I, I thought, you know, there's times when I'm in, I get in trouble when I sin. My own sinfulness gets me in trouble. I get in situations where the circumstances are bad, but it's my own creation, right? There's other circumstances where others sin that I'm associated with. Maybe a family member sins or maybe a, you know somebody in my neighborhood sins or, or whatever. And that's where I found our brothers and sisters. People around them in sin, lostness, are causing them to be in the midst of trouble. And I, I love that word, midst. It just creates a good picture for me. It was really powerful on the trip. They're in the midst of trouble because of the sinfulness of man This war attacks, the enemy attacking the church. But then there's another time when I find myself in the midst of trouble, and that's when God has sent me into the midst of trouble, as he did on this trip. He said, I want you to go. It's not because you've sinned. You're not suffering the consequences of anybody else's sin. I'm actually sending you into the midst of trouble to minister, to be present, to encourage, to love, to forgive, to cry, to listen. I mean, all those things. And so I stood in this church. It was an old red brick missionary church. It had been there for many, many years, decades. And it was, it was a part of a, a mission compound. And the believers, the brothers and sisters were in there. And I was able to share with them those three things. I get in trouble when I sin. I find myself in trouble when others have sinned around me. And that's where you find yourself. A lot of you You've been in trouble because people's sin has caused you trouble. You've had to leave. You've been attacked. But then I said, there's another time I find myself in the midst of trouble, and today God has sent me here into the middle of your trouble because of the Lord Jesus Christ's example of going into our trouble, right? Him leaving heaven, coming into the world, and I'm coming as a minister on behalf of the global church, your brothers and sisters around the world, I could feel, and my interpreter later told me, he said, that was a powerful moment. He said, the people in the in the room, they understood. The people you were talking to, they got it. That, oh, you're here because God sent you. And we go into the midst of trouble when God sends us, and we tell the people, we're coming on behalf of the global body of Christ, on behalf of our listeners, our our magazine readers, the people who send in prayers. We go on behalf of them and we tell them every time, we don't necessarily tell them our organization name, but we tell them, your brothers and sisters know about you, they're praying for you, they've given so that I can come. So we just try to join them in the midst of their trouble.
0: I think of the pilot who says, wow, I haven't taken very many people there lately. What about the people there? They must have been like, you've you've come all the way from America? Well, you know, why would you come here?
1: Yeah, almost every place we went to, they said, we know it's dangerous to come here. Thank you for coming. Like, they took time to thank us for showing up. And and that was probably one of the most humbling and, and really emotional parts for me was for them to thank us for coming. And Todd, I was only in these some of these places for hours. Yeah. We would fly in, we would spend three, four hours, and then we would fly out there were no hotels in these places, Todd. <laughs> but yet they thanked us.
0: You used the phrase, the ministry of presence. And I think that is such an important thing of, we are here, we're your family, and we represent your other family, Then, and, and we've just come to be with you. We've just come to see you. We want to hear your story. Is such a powerful thing for people to understand. I'm not alone. I'm not forgotten. Even out here in the middle of... Democratic Republic of the Congo, even out here in the middle of Central African Republic, people know about me. People know what's happening to us here. That's right. It's such a powerful thing.
1: I think it is. I think it, you could you could see it when we would share that with them. We shared it among our staff at night around dinners that it's an opportunity for us to go and say that is rare. I used to work with a with a denominational sending agency And I couldn't say that. I couldn't say that I was coming on the behalf of the global church at that time. And now I I get to say that. I feel really blessed and thankful to to have this opportunity.
0: And and responsibility. I I mean, it really is a sacred responsibility to go and sit down with these brothers and sisters. I know you encountered some very fresh persecution stories on this trip. Talk a little bit about that and about yeah. what's happening there and about <laughs> yeah. how, how you found yourself sent, again, sent by God into Amen. the middle of that.
1: A lady was sharing about the attack that took her husband. The attack came and she said, I lost my husband. As soon as the translator translated, I lost, I lost my husband. She put her face in her hands and she could not continue. It was that fresh. And so she got up and just went over to the side. Now, what I loved about this was we've partnered with an organization that's doing some biblical trauma counseling in the language that they speak there. And so they had a person, a trained person on site that took her over to the side and just began to help her work through that. That was beautiful to see. We were so thankful for that. That's not every place we go. And so this was a really good thing to see that. But that was very powerful. She couldn't continue. There was another church days later where we were were meeting with believers who had been displaced. A sister was talking also, and she was giving us her testimony, her story. And she said something. And the older gentleman, a pastor who was translating for us, he stopped and he sat down. He was too emotional. He could not continue. And so... When, when he sat down, then she began to cry, almost like that gave her permission. And so then she went and sat down. Um, so there were some very raw moments. Todd, I have two sons. They're young men. And um, we were in the CAR. We were visiting a settlement of displaced people, and they want to go home. They've been there for several years, and we've given bits of aid as we can it's not enough to sustain them. They're finding ways to raise crops and plant and try to, you know, barter and things, and so uh, piece together housing. And we've went to visit them just to try to be there and encourage. And, and and one man stood up in that meeting. He walked to the center of a large circle, maybe 100, 150 people were gathered. And he began to share about he had just lost his son. And his son had gotten tired of living in the settlement, and he wanted to go home. So his son, who was a young man, just wanted to go back home. And so he just told his dad, I'm going home. I'm going to go back. And so he, he went back, and the father got word a few days later that he had been killed. He had been captured by the jihadist who had taken over that place, that area, and they killed him. And then I asked the translator, I said, wait, when, when did this happen? When did he say he lost his son? And the translator said, three weeks ago. And the Lord spoke to my heart just instantly and said, you've got to get up, and you've got to walk over there and acknowledge this brother, your brother, and you've got to tell him you're sorry. Um, and so I did. I just stopped the whole proceeding and just walked over to him, and the translator walked with me. And I looked him in the eye, and I told him, I have two sons that are young men and i'm sorry that you lost your son and then i hugged him that's what i would want our radio listeners to understand when v o m when we talk about the ministry of presence that's what we mean we go we're not there just to get a photo op we're not there to necessarily check up on projects we do that and and we don't go to assess needs only we do that also but the number one thing we're doing, we want to go to be present with them. That's the Lord is sit, The Lord sits with me in my troubles at times, and we're called to do the same thing. So that day, that was probably the best example for me on this trip where the Lord just said, go, minister with your presence. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't do anything. There was nothing I could give him that was going to make this better except just pray with him. And I did pray with him at the end, and yeah. Can you give
0: our listeners a little understanding of, and I know the situations are different, C-A-R-D-R-C, the situations are different even within different parts of those countries, but what does Christian persecution look like? Why is it Christian persecution when some of these villages are attacked versus civil war uh, just just kind of give us some context for yeah. why and how Christians are being targeted sure
1: islamists jihadists are moving south in africa I think we've you 've had people on the radio who've talked about that our our literature talks about that, and what 's happening is these these armed groups are are well supported and well funded from people outside the region, from other countries outside the region, and the goal really is to come in and eradicate Christianity. They want all of it eradicated. The, those who are nominal Christians and maybe aren't even necessarily born again, but just culturally Christian, and certainly those who are active and bold in their faith, witnessing church planting, discipleship, they want them out as well. And so that's happening. That's happening. It's been happening for several years. We've been watching that. And as they move south, you know, they've come through the CAR and and then pushed people south and they keep going. And and really, there's just not a military presence in those countries that is capable at this point to stop them and to maintain law and order. We talked with some denominational leaders. In one location, We we had a, several hours to talk with these denominational leaders, and they were from many denominations. They shared some amazing statistics of the number of churches and church plants that they had preaching points in villages several years ago, and the numbers they have now. And Todd, it, it is an attack on the church. This is an attack directly from the enemy against the church trying to stop the church, it, the numbers have dra- have dropped so much, they started telling us how many pastors they've lost. Each denomination was saying we've lost this number of pastors. You know, in one location, 13 pastors. One denomination, eight pastors. It, it's just an attack on the church. And so now we know that those Islamists, the jihadists that are attacking, they're not the enemy. They're lost, and somebody's got to stand and witness to them. at at a great price, but the enemy is attacking the church for sure in this part of the world.
0: So how, I mean, we've talked about the ministry of presence. We've talked about, you know, some humanitarian supplies. How can VOM help in that situation where every Christian is under attack, essentially?
1: We like to talk about this idea that we'll, we'll have a general type of response for a short time to allow us the opportunity to assess and to find very specific ways to respond. So for example, we helped one community, this displaced community, and now we've heard about this man who lost his son. You know, that's the kind of that's the direction we want to go. We understand we're going to give them the large community. We're going to give them something to help them and to show them they're not alone. We're not we're not going to alleviate all of their suffering right. we can't and and we're not really even that's not even our goal our goal is really seeing the kingdom advance and so we want to we want to serve our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and we want to see the great commission go forward and so the the pots and pans the clothes the food items those last for a short time and they bring limited amount of encouragement that's why the ministry of presence is so important, because that helps them understand, no, there's a bigger family that I'm a part of that will last for eternity. Um, that's why we prefer Bibles. You know, we'll come in and give Bibles. We had multiple people telling us, hey, thank you for the, the bag of rice, but thank you for the Word of God. Over and over and over. We left our Bible in the when we ran. Thank you for giving us Bibles. Thank you for giving us children's Bibles. Um, those kind of things. So so we like to start bigger especially when we're in a new place but that's really not what we're built to do and designed to do we we want to get to those specific cases so you know a faithful pastor a, a faithful pastor's wife uh, you know just those specific cases where we can come alongside and really help somebody the goal is that somebody will stay and stand and continue to share the gospel even with those persecutors you can read it on our website. It's right there. One of our five purposes, right? Somebody's got to witness to the persecutors before things are going to change. That's the eternal mm-hmm. outcomes we're we're looking for.
0: We're talking this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Aaron Miller. He is the vice president for international ministry. Aaron, you mentioned earlier the the trauma ministry that we are partnering with, and I'm so excited about this because it is it is helpful to think about yes here's a bag of rice that's great but if we can help heal some of those wounds inside um what an amazing ministry that is give us a little more information about that and and i know there are some in the christian community that that get a little hesitant about trauma ministry and about yeah. you know counseling or, or whatever and yeah. certainly there are some bad roads you can go down in that this is not that, though. <laughs> yeah, this is not
1: that. And that's part of the reason we we wanted to travel in, see. We actually have a guy on our staff who is a clinically trained counselor, has experience in trauma care, has experience in trauma healing, but he also has a theology experience and studies to go along with that. And so he's helping us stay right down the middle of the lane Yes, there are emotional things we can talk about, but we can't forget about the spiritual part. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is still involved in that healing and that restoration that happens for people. But we can't ignore the mental part of it either, you know. And so uh, we want to be holistic in that. Um, However, at the same time, we don't want to wander off into what we've been referring to as pop psychology, you know, sort of just kind of bookstore-type books that – People can go and and find and and maybe read and self-help type things. We're not interested in that either. But then it gets even more challenging because then we have to find somebody in that culture who understands the culture, who understands the language, and who also understands the clinical part of it but as well as the spiritual part of it. So we're very excited because God has put people, God has prepared people. We'll get back to that word, right? He has prepared people in certain places— and they are coming alongside us in, a, in a, an amazing way. We're partnering with these organizations. We heard several testimonies on this trip. One was a woman who um, could not go to church. She would not go to church. Um, she was so traumatized. She was so upset, so discouraged and disheartened that she just couldn't. She had quit going. But through some of the trauma healing workshops that people invited her to and she attended over some time, at her testimony now on this trip was to us that now I'm going back to church, and it feels so good to be with my brothers and sisters again. Um, another lady shared that you know she was having trouble even relating to children, um, so she lost some children in the attacks, but she had other children remaining. It was hard for her to emotionally connect with them, but now through the trauma healing, uh, the biblical trauma healing that workshops that she's been going to, she has this you know, the mothering relational part of her has been healed to a point where she can now be a mom to these remaining kids. And so we're seeing really good things. Todd, I'm, I'm giving you these small examples. I mean, there are so many thousands of, of brothers and sisters who aren't at those places yet. They're not even getting to those counseling workshops yet. We're, we're just starting to roll this out, but we're really excited about this.
0: I I too am very excited about it, and the thought of not just people doing this, but training pastors, training people in the local church there to say, hey, here's how you can help someone, And, and you mentioned it earlier, the lady that she couldn't talk anymore, she just went off to the side, and there was someone there to go off to the side with her and say, hey, there's a path forward, there's a path out of this grief and out of this trauma and out of uh, the the sort of daily paralysis of just living perpetually in that state of trauma. So I'm excited about that. I hope our listeners, as you hear this, I hope you're excited about this as well. And uh, I'm excited in the coming years we'll hear more stories of people who have regained their voice, regained their connection to the church, regained their connection with their own family. Um, so I I trust and I pray that that will come about were there any other things about this trip that you want to share with our listeners that, that particularly impacted you?
1: One of the last days, this was a long trip because we were having to, all the logistics of getting to these places, it was a long trip. And I was really done uh, about the last day. And we had one more day out into another displaced you know, community. And I was just really struggling a little bit being present. We landed on the airstrip we go, we make our way to a little community of believers who have resettled into a place where they were attacked and driven out um, several years ago. And so we we were there. we were having lunch. we're we're talking with some of the pastors. and over about two hundred yards away from the little shelter where we were sitting in with these pastors, there was a group of women. and this was I, I believe it was a Thursday, honestly. And it it was Women's Day for their church. That's when all the women gather, and they have a speaker, and they sing, and they pray. And they were under a group of trees, and they were singing, and they were praising the Lord. And here they are, a, a community of Christians who just a few years ago had been driven out, had the courage to come back. They still see people who drove them out. Like some of the people who live in that community joined the attackers at that time. They see them in the market and here they are sitting under a group of trees singing and it just stunned me the 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 way that they were so willing to still be so open with their faith it encouraged me and i would pass on to our listeners that you know we need to be courageous in our faith how we practice our christian faith no matter the context no matter where we're at some of some who listen to this will be in an office environment that's not friendly to their faith. Uh, They may live with family members who are not uh, accepting of their faith. Practice it anyway. Pray out loud anyway. Sing out loud early in the morning anyway. You never know what is going to touch somebody's heart. I have a favorite old hymn, Todd. My daughter laughs at me because the only hymn like I know the first few lines of is, uh, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. (laughs) Stand up for Jesus. And these sisters were singing that hymn translated into their language. And I almost fell out of my chair. I thought, they're singing that hymn in the middle of Africa? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And what a beautiful picture. They were not hiding in a building. They were not hiding across a river somewhere in a camp. They came back to their place, and they were singing very loud and with great enthusiasm that day. Stand up for Jesus. I would say to all of us, myself included, we need to make sure that we are willing to stand up for Jesus.
0: Amen. Aaron Miller, I think that's a great place to leave off. I appreciate you sharing these stories. I appreciate the heart that comes through in your voice. And uh, I know our listeners appreciate that as well. Let me do ask one more question, though. We we always try to leave people a place to pray. Yeah. And as we think about Christians in CAR and Christians in DRC and Christians in Uganda, how do we pray for them this week?
1: Our brothers and sisters in the DRC and in the CAR, and really even in Uganda, there is some discord in the church because some are saying we shouldn't flee, we should stand strong, no matter what that means. Some are saying, nope, we're going to flee and then we'll come back. Others are saying, no, we're fleeing and we're not coming back until there's peace and order by the government. And, and that's causing uh, disunity among church leaders. And our last day, Brother Jeremy, who is one of our staff, he's a regional leader, he had a chance to give a very important message. We all felt like there was a weight to the message that he gave that day on unity, unity of the family of Christ whether or not they agree on everything, but they need to love one another in Christ. They need to be unified in Christ. So I would pray, I would ask our, our listeners to pray with me that the church leaders could find a place of unity, even if they have to make different decisions for their own congregations or for their, their denominations. They're under hard circumstances right now. This is a tough day to be a leader in that part of the world, um, but we encourage all of them that God's made you a leader at this time in history for a reason. Own that and and you know lean into that and really be what God wants you to be and call for unity. So please pray that our brothers and sisters could have unity um, even if they have to make different decisions for families or for congregations.
0: Amen. Aaron, thanks so much for sharing with us this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thank you so much, Todd.
0: Thank you for listening this week to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. If you haven't already done so, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the free Voice of the Martyrs magazine. Just come to vomradio.net. Click on the link at the top of the page that says free magazine. We would love to send that to you each month with the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters. Also, I'd appreciate it if you would take a few moments to rate and review this podcast, wherever it is that you're listening That's a great way to help us reach new listeners with the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters. You can also help us reach new listeners by sharing this episode with a Christian friend and with your pastor. You can also give financially to support VOM's work helping persecuted Christians, providing Bibles, and supporting frontline ministry. Simply click on the Donate tab at the top of vomradio.net, or you can go directly vomradio.net slash donate. Thank you for taking the time to listen this week. I hope you'll join our conversation again next week to hear more stories of the faithfulness of persecuted Christians and the amazing things God is doing in hostile and restricted nations. All of that right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Podcast Network.